0: Our guest today is a contortionist, but not the kind you're thinking of. Today, I talked to Jillian Evelyn about her stunning paintings that feature the female form in some pretty painstaking positions. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey. And together, we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my dearies. Hello, my dearies. Today, we have a wonderful conversation with Jillian Evelyn. I have been following her work for a very long time on Instagram, and I have been inspired by these bold colors that she uses and by these female figures contorted into crazy shapes and positions, the kind of stuff that bones quiver at the sight of. But all of those representations of crazy positions mean something to Jillian, and they're actually her form of expressing her own anxieties with the world around us and the pressures that we all feel on a daily basis. I'm not going to give away too much, but spoiler alert, it's a pretty, pretty interesting interview. So stay tuned because first we have to talk about my inspiration for the week. And that inspiration is self-care. And y'all, let me tell you Most of the time, I actually roll my eyes at the level of self-care speak there is in the world because it's like almost a bit much. There's like clubs surrounding napping, which I'm like all about if you have no other ambitions. But I'm building a company. So like I don't nap often because I'm building a company. I am not throwing shade. Does it sound like I'm throwing shade, Ina? Okay, she says it sounds like I'm throwing shade. Forgive me. I'm not throwing shade. All I'm saying is that there is a time for napping and there is a time for working on yourself and on your dreams. But I will say this has been a particularly crazy couple of weeks where I have been nonstop and pushing myself for very long hours every day. And frankly, it's moments like this where I'm like preaching that self-care gospel. That's when I get on board. Because at a certain point, I have to know when to slow down. I have to know when to stop. And I have to realize that sometimes when I'm rolling my eyes at people, they're right. You know, it is an investment in myself. And it's even an investment in my company, in my team for me to slow down and stop, breathe, meditate, take a bubble bath, whatever my form of self-care is. So I want to apologize to all self-care advocates out there. If I've ever rolled my eyes at you, it's because I'm in beast mode and thus I can't see through the fog of that. But the reality is right now I'm about to go into the weekend looking for some serious rest and some serious nature time. So cheers to self-care, all right, today. I'm about it. Tomorrow, I don't know. No promises. <laughs> All right, y'all. Without further ado, I don't want to sleep on this interview. Wow, 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 wow. It's time to talk to Jillian. Jillian, welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I'm especially excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. You are, I would actually categorize you as one of my favorite artists because of the subject matter, because of the playfulness, because of the seriousness underneath. Um, But I just want to share with the cultured crew who you are and what kind of artwork you make. So go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little synopsis of your work.
1: So I'm Jillian Evelyn, and I'm a contemporary artist, and I paint minimalist abstract females and they're focusing mostly on being kind of contorted and bending and fitting into whatever canvas that they're on. And it speaks to just my experience in life. And just for a long time, I spent a lot of time um, trying to live by the shoulds and what I should be doing and um, Mm. really conforming and bending to other people's expectations without really actually asking if that's what I wanted to be doing. So, and also just like beauty standards. And there's so many things, especially as a female, that get put on you and you're kind of um, always trying to fit into that box.
0: So what life experiences have you endured that have brought you to this place where you really found your voice and exploring that ongoing, ever-present discomfort of womanhood, which is how I see it.
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean, I grew up in the like 90s, you know, early 2000s. I graduated high school in 2005. And so during that time, there wasn't that much body positivity. So Mm -hmm. I grew up on magazines and all the diets, Atkins or whatever random thing was in, um, struggled with eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. then went to college, felt like I was doing the rebellious thing by going to art school and following my dream. But then I easily, you know, like after school, you're so scared of, you know, being able to afford to live. So I took a job and I ended up working in footwear for eight years as a footwear designer and um, like textile designer. And I was kind of got myself stuck there because I was so scared to leave and I knew it was a good job and I shouldn't risk leaving. And I should continue to pursue that career, even though I wasn't super happy in it. And I knew that I was meant to be painting and I had something else in me.
0: I find the way you use contorted really interesting in the way that you use it, like contorting yourself to society's image of yourself or what your parents might expect of you. I find that such a powerful word to use. And then couple that word and that sentiment with your artwork and the contortions of these female forms or of these women's forms contorted into these very angular, uncomfortable, harsh positions. It's a really powerful sentiment that you're actually alluding to and it went totally over my head. For most of the time that I've been following you, I didn't even like draw that conclusion. For me, I saw like, oh, there's this homage to cubism, but also like classical Greek figurative painting. But it's also very contemporary and bold. And then when I started reading more and more about you and you mentioned this contortion, this how your work really alludes to the anxieties that you've suffered from or suffered with or through, I was like, holy cajoli and all of a sudden your art became different for me it it became more nuanced and darker but in the best of ways so at what point in your life did you find that voice that's a tough thing to
1: find so it was definitely later I'm a little bit of a late bloomer I would say so yeah so I was in footwear for eight years and on the side I was always doing a much more like whimsical cute like for a while I thought I'd do children's books Mm. like I drew a lot more animals And then I moved out to LA and I worked for another footwear company out here for two years. And during that time, I took like a year break. And then I was just going through a lot of things. And I actually finally started drawing from a very raw place. Yeah. So it just became just very honest. And I didn't think anything was going to come of it. It was just more being like, I need to get this out because I'm so frustrated in my life. And for a while, I was just drawing... 28
0: or 9. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's, that's also a particularly angsty time in life because you're finally on this verge, I found, of like, okay, I'm legit. I'm solidly an adult now. Like, solidly. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't feel that way. I still feel like a baby, you know? So there is this weird discomfort in that metamorphosis. It's like busting out of the cocoon, but the cocoon is a brick wall.
1: Yeah, well, I think in your 20s, there's a lot of you trying to figure out what you're doing and you're trying to follow a path that Mm -hmm. has been laid out. It's hard to go off that path and like not listen to those things and being like, oh, I should be doing this and not, you don't question it as much. It's like, I need to do this because I need to do this to survive.
0: You also think the consequences of breaking out of that are going to be like the worst, like the highest stake thing in the world you could do is break out of that when the reality is, is just not that. Once you break out of that, you realize it, right?
1: Correct. And how I felt in my body is exactly how I started drawing the full body figures. It was exactly how I felt. Like I just felt trapped and hmm. really like I was, I don't know, making myself smaller in a lot of places in my life. Um, Like
0: collapsing in on yourself. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So it was natural and organic, but it also took a long time as well, because I think that I needed to go through all of those things in my 20s and have those life experiences that brought me to where I am.
0: Right. Well, absolutely. And and it's such a personal experience. It's such a personal expression. And that's not always the case. I think we all see art, and I certainly do for the most part, as this very singular expression of the artist's self. But sometimes art is made because it's fun and expressive and bold. But then you come across artists whose work is very clearly a very raw expression of their own experiences, and that's where I think your fits into that category for me. And that's why I think it's so compelling. So tell us about, you know, you said how it was rebellious. You, you considered it a rebellion to go to art school. Why was that?
1: I come from a blue collar family. Both my parents, they met at a GM factory because I'm from Michigan. So um, everyone in my family, all my aunts and uncles all worked at either Ford or GM. Right. And me being an artist, I was definitely the odd one out. Finances were always difficult because, too, with my daddy, like with the car industry, they could get laid off and it was just up and down. So I wanted a job that was more secure. So I stopped drawing for a while and Mm. I was set on going to going into pre-med or something like I wanted to be a dermatologist, which is completely random.
0: Right. <laughs> but again, this idea of contorting yourself into, well, the one thing I know I want is going to be this education that gives me stability. It it reminds me of the immigrant mentality. So, you know, my parents are immigrants and it's very much the same thing where it's like, do whatever job is going to land you the most money. And it doesn't matter what your passion is, you know, and that's for passionate people kind of. Torture.
1: They just wanted me to get by. And I think with me going to art school, it really worried them that I would struggle in life. Yes. And so I think it was just they worried. And then it took them a while. Like me getting the job at Converse and whatnot. I think they started to see that I could do something with it. And then my dad will still call me and be like, How's business?
0: Yeah. And
1: are you doing okay? And It's funny. I think it's just like a different world for them where they are still surprised that I'm able to make a living from it.
0: Totally. And I get the same from my mom, you know? It is, is, I feel like a parent's number one job is to worry. And so I get that. But hey, what a happy medium, right? What a happy compromise that you were able to actually go to Converse and design for a living until you realize, like, not even this is going to satisfy me, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So what did you do at Converse? And, you know, when you talk about shoe design, what does that actually mean and entail?
1: It was really fun and it was a challenge because it was something, designing product wasn't something that I was familiar with. So, you know, I got to travel a lot, you know, we'd go on inspiration trips and set the trend. I got to learn a lot about color through the job. It was a really great experience, but after a while, you know, when you're surrounded by people that really love sneakers and you realize like you don't, (laughs) right? yeah, it's like, ah, man, I kind of feel like, imposter syndrome, like I was just in the wrong place and I knew it after a while.
0: And so that's when you took the leap. Finally, you were like, okay, I proved to myself that I could make a living as something other than a full-time artist, but it all continues to leave me unfulfilled. So you took the leap to become a full-time artist. Is that right?
1: No, no. Well, sort of. So I was at Converse for a little over four years and then I tried to make the leap to do illustration. Did like toy packaging and different stuff. And it was more illustrative, which I thought was a path I wanted to be on. And I ended up not loving that job. I left there and tried to be freelance and it just wasn't working. And my style was completely different then. You know, it was much cuter, whimsical. And, you know, I just hadn't found my voice. I feel like unless you've actually gone through the
0: process of finding your voice artistically, whatever your art form or medium is, you don't really fully understand how somebody could land there. You know, like I look at your work and I'm like, how in the hell did she get there?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it took me to stop trying to find my style to find my style.
0: Right. Yeah. It's like
1: love, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so talk to us about your process, because, you know, I feel like we could have hours long conversation just about your art. Why don't you describe one of your more recent paintings in detail and then tell us about the process of actually sitting down and painting it?
1: I always start with sketching. I think that's, for me, one of the most important parts. So it's always like really playing with shapes and figuring out a composition that is going to work and shapes and negative space that excites me. And then once I figure that out, I kind of, I pick out a color palette and I have a problem where it's like, I need to perfect the drawing for some reason. So there's so many times where I like go over it and go over it. And if I like mess it up and there's something weird and like, I don't even sell the drawings and <laughs> drawings are on like cheap paper, but it's more of like, yeah. I just want it to be right before I bring it to the painting stage. Some people like sketchbooks. I'm not a sketchbook person. I like loose paper. Like I'm always trying to get myself to work constantly in a sketchbook, but I use this Canson recycled sketch paper and I love it. And I have it in multiple sizes. You know, it's more that you like rip out and like, I don't ever keep them in that book. It's like, I have a folder where I'll put in, you know, my drawings and I just keep them that way.
0: I'm the same. Yeah. I like loose paper because it's just so freeing. You can just like grab a piece of paper and switch from, you know, sketching or brainstorming on the couch to the kitchen table, to to the bed and just take your little paper with
1: you everywhere. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem as precious.
0: Ooh, yeah. That's a really good point because then it's not part of this like, you know, formalized collection of papers.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, you can't mess it up. You're just having fun. Yeah. And I'll also use my iPad. That's been, um, like, Procreate has been a game changer, which is nice, like, if I'm flying or traveling.
0: And playing with colors, I imagine, becomes a much easier yeah, task.
1: Totally. Like, sometimes I even draw everything up on a pencil, then bring it on my iPad and do colorway options before I paint.
0: Do you have, like, a signature palette of, like, Jillian Evelyn always uses these and you pull those in?
1: No. So I feel like I'm one of the few artists that (laughs) constantly changes their color palette. And I think that comes from me working in footwear, you know, like you,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, every season, it was very exciting when you got a new color palette, because by the end of the season, you were so sick of the same color palette. Like you wanted something different. Um, I think eventually I'll land on one that I'm super happy with. And there's colors that I always bring back. Like I'll always have like, some kind of dusty pink.
0: Oh, yes. I love that pink you use. So you sit down, you do your sketching, you flush it out, you pick a color palette. And then where do you go from there?
1: Yeah, I'll redraw the drawing on the canvas or wood, whichever I'm choosing to work on, and I'll block everything out and then do the line work. So it's like on to painting, but too, while I'm painting, there's stuff that I'm still figuring out. Like sometimes I'll change the colors as I go or I'll take away or add on like a lot of the shapes and graphic elements I don't add to the end. Like there's some stuff that I don't have figured out, you know, like, um, and it's more of a feeling that I just have to go with and instinct of how I want it to be. I allow space for the pieces to change while I'm working on them. Something will just feel different and need to change. And yeah, it won't land as strongly in your
0: in your instinct. Is it sort of an instinctual feeling that you feel like, let's say, in your stomach that, oh, this isn't right. I don't like this anymore.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I get the sense from you that you operate a lot from that place in your belly, right? That there's like this this space in your belly that your gut, right? There's a reason people call it like following your gut. Is that what the experience of art making is like for you, a very instinctual sort of gut-driven process?
1: Definitely. I have trouble separating myself from that. It's like a mix of gut and personal experience. Everything that I make has some what I'm personally going through. And then, yeah, a lot of it's gut and instinct when it comes to what I know I like and don't like. And sometimes I can't figure it out like you know, it's frustrating if I'm working on a piece and like recently I just had like a big breakthrough of how I want my work to change. And I feel like I was constantly like running into a wall of, I knew something and the pit on my stomach was wrong with my pieces, but it was nothing that someone could tell me. Like no one could point that out.
0: Yes. It was, right.
1: I had to just keep pushing and trying and eventually, you know, like break through that wall and it will feel right. So you
0: just recently had that breakthrough. What what was it? Where has it led you?
1: I'm trying to simplify more. So I'm cutting out lines where I don't feel like they're necessary. So recently in the newer pieces, like if her face is butting up against her shoulder, I won't draw that line. I want the viewer to put that line there themselves. Like it's not mm, necessary.
0: Those two spaces end up merging together.
1: Yeah, but your eyes will correct it. At least right. my eyes do. Maybe other people's don't. But in my head, I'm like, OK, I'm trying just to have a more of a minimal view when I work on my work. And remember, like, less is more.
0: Right. So describe a recent painting. Um, you just did a shared show, a collaboration with Kristen Lu Wong.
1: Yeah, a duo show. We duo did show. Not a Flower Alone at Corey Helford.
0: Yeah. So describe one of your favorite pieces that you exhibit in that show.
1: So it's one of my favorite pieces doesn't even have a flower in it. Like our whole show is based on (laughs) florography, which is the Victorian language of flowers. But, um, I did this girl also during the show, I was going through my partner left, took a job in Baltimore and moved out and we like broke up. So I was going through a lot of personal stuff during it. And I'm not a smoker, but whenever I definitely have that, like, angsty art school kid in me where sometimes I'll randomly pick up smoking and I made this piece <laughs> because I had one of those nights where I was just like chain smoking for no reason and I don't <laughs> really smoke yeah so the next day I was like oh I feel awful but um very French made, and moody of you you know <laughs> yeah I know right <laughs> it's very like predictable or whatever but uh so yeah I made this piece called wallflower and it's this girl she's sitting crouched and she has like three cigarettes in her mouth. Yeah. There's just some line work that I really love, like on her leg, her leg and her breast share the same line. That felt really right to me where it was finding ways to simplify, but like tell more with a line. And that's one of my favorite pieces.
0: Man, tell more with a line. I mean, if you aren't an artist, that is something only an artist could do. You know what I mean? Tell (laughs) a story with either the omission or inclusion of a line or placement of a line. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of feminine symbology. Also, well, I perceive there to be a lot of feminine symbology and also a lot of feminism in your work. Something as simple as showing pubic hair and underarm hair in a figure that's contorted uncomfortably. And perhaps her eyes are wide showing that she is like really uncomfortable, but trying to hold still and trying to do this contortion thing. All of that to me speaks volumes about the woman's experience. So what does femininity mean to you?
1: So I think that when I draw the figures, I try to come from a space of what it actually feels like to be in a female body. And a lot of times, as you know, women are sexualized. But you, as a woman, you don't feel sexy. And when you're bent in these places, it's like you feel the very much the opposite. Like mm-hmm. you are going to get bulges in weird places and... Yeah, maybe you Mm. forgot to shave, like you're not in the space of presenting yourself for someone, you're being like your authentic self and what it is to be in this blob of a body. That's powerful.
0: You know, foreseeably, you'll look back at all of your work and it'll be sort of a memoir. It'll tell the story of how you felt at any given time in your life.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. It was even the show was really funny since I was going through the breakup. All of the flowers that I did are wilting. (laughs) They're kind of like drooped and like not. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. And when I looked at the show, I was like, well, that's very telling. Like. um, (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very real. It's very
0: raw. We uh-huh. Those are the seasons of life, right? We do. We feel wilted sometimes. And then we come back to life. And then we're sort of in this in-between space. And depending on how woo-woo you are, and if you're woo-woo like me, you're pretty woo-woo, then you believe that these artworks carry the energy of their creator. So I do think that your work comes off as powerful because you are zoned into it and you're feeling through it. It's almost like you can feel that person's spirit through their work. But let's not dive off the deep end too far. (laughs) Jillian, this has been such a pleasure. If our cultured crew wants to check in with you and see some of your work and find out where you're going to be showing at next, where can they find that information?
1: Mostly my Instagram. That's where I keep things updated the most. So it's Jillian underscore Evelyn and Perfect. Yeah. And I have shows coming up. I'll be in Australia in January. And then I have a solo show next year in LA in the fall with subliminal projects. Oh, that's amazing.
0: I'm so excited for your success and I can't wait to keep watching out for you. And of course, you can see Jillian's work on culturedpodcast.com. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, we really appreciate you, Jillian. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I had a great time. I mean, wow, that was really fun. I especially love hearing about someone's process when it's such a personal form of self-expression like Jillian's. So you know where to find her. And I hope that you end up loving her work as much as I do. And until our next journey into the unknown... Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured! Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. Our sound engineers are Cooper Skinner and Dante Hodge. And we're recording at Listen Up Audio in Atlanta, Georgia.